Good evening, everyone. It's Thursday, Necro Thursday. I hope everyone had a great Halloween. Because though we are recording this before Halloween 2022, this episode is coming out after our magnum opus Halloween episode from last week. So I got Jeff with yes. me this week. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing okay. You know, it's been some uh, difficulties in my life, but, you know, I'm, tr- I'm choosing to yes. look at the bright side. You know what I mean? That's all we can do. Yeah. So, uh, have you checked anything out? Uh, you know, this is like the season to be watching good things and, you know, checking out stuff. So, what's, uh, what, have, what have you uh, gotten into recently? Um, you know, my, uh, my movie count is exceptionally low this Halloween, and I'm not really sure why. There, uh, I have pretty much every app known to man, but <laughs> I haven't been watching as much stuff. But uh, there are a few things worth noting. Um, I watched Dahmer. And listen to you and Mike cover it. Uh, I think we all pretty much have the same thoughts uh, uh, about that. Uh, quite good, but uh, I don't know if enjoyable is really the word for that. I agree with that. And um, yeah, I mean, and also just for me, I feel like I kind of uh, moved away from true crime, like serial killer stuff, really. I haven't really been that interested in that stuff for many years at this point. And uh Though, if you're going to watch any of the Dahmer stuff out there, I think this is probably the one to really check out. This is probably, in my opinion, like the definitive one, really. I completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, do we need this? Is this exploitation? Is it gross? And I I really think this might be the most... If you have to do a show like this or uh, on this subject, this is the right approach, I thought. You know, they even sort of uh, address that in a, in a very uh, sort of postmodern way when they talk about all the people who were enamored with Jeffrey Dahmer. That was even addressed in the series. You know, they talked about all these people who were like, you know, I, I'm, I'm your biggest fan and this and that and the comics and all that sort of stuff. So that was that was a cool right. a cool angle, I think, they played on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um uh, what else? I uh, also, you know, I watched the Argento film, which uh, you guys also covered. And mm-hmm. uh, again, agree with your thoughts. It's pretty good. Uh, Argento hasn't done anything really worth watching in quite a while. So it was a pleasant surprise that it wasn't terrible. And uh, I'm very happy for Chin, the Chinese kid who escaped. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bizarre line. Yeah. Um, a <laughs> couple of them on the positive side, uh, I checked out a movie on Shudder I had no expectations for. Uh, it was called Speak No Evil. Yes. I think, I think you and I texted about this briefly. Yeah. Man, did I love this movie. Um, and I'm sure when we do our end of the year wrap up, it's gonna, and we'll, we'll talk about it. It's definitely one of the better horror films I've seen all year but it's not your typical october spooky kind of horror movie it's more in like in line with something like the original vanishing the vanishing uh yeah just something that really gets in under your skin and really disturbs you you know kind of ruins your day and uh those are the kind of horror movies that really that 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 i i enjoy something that doesn't leave your thoughts for a while you know well actually uh jackie 
over at uh, Into the Necrosphere had messaged me about this very movie, and uh, he he liked it. He said that originally he had he didn't really care for it on first, uh, you know, his first opinion about it. But as time went on, he started thinking about it more, and he recommended it to me. So Jackie, if you're out there listening to this, um, definitely I enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy, I don't know if it's the right word, but I, I had an appreciation for the movie because uh, at the end I felt very much uh, anxious and <laughs> and kind of like, uh, you know, unsettled is a, is a good term, I guess. Yeah, and it's very much a, a slow burn. It turns that screw real, real subtly, real slowly, and, and you're not really, really quite sure where it's going to go. You might have some ideas, but... You know, it certainly, you know, it, it was interesting watching it unfold because I really knew nothing about the movie. I just like, oh, Shudder, I need, feel like watching something. I'll, I'll throw this on. And, you know, it, it had me. Like, I was uh, I was on board almost immediately. Also, the characters um, are very European, too, man. Like, they're, uh, one couple is Swedish and the other one is Dutch, I think. Yes, yeah, and and some of the movie is in English, but you know, there's a lot of subtitles. Uh, again, if you were one of those people who doesn't like to read subtitles, you're missing out on some great stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I, don't, I know how to read, so um, so it's, I'm cool with all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, I don't, I don't. So my girlfriend <laughs> interprets she, it for she me. Reads so it to I, you. <laughs> yeah, she reads it to me. <laughs> it's really difficult when we go to a, a the movie theater. Um, well, and, with, you know, what's that? With the characters, though, just like that kind of um, European, um, and not so much, these aren't really, this isn't a- applicable to the Brits out there, because uh, yeah. the, the Brits are like a little bit more terse, I think, at times than, than the mainland Europeans. Like they yeah. have this, um, you know, these manners, you know what I mean? They're they're very polite at times and uh, bordering on passive aggressive, I think, mm. you know. I'm talking sure. about you know Swedes and Dutch and some of the Germans and stuff like that. And uh, these characters were were very much showcasing those traits. I think in this film, absolutely, yeah. Uh, sometimes being too nice can be your downfall. I guess exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, on a less positive note, <laughs> I somehow and I, I I'm watching Gotham. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but I, I feel like I've been watching it for at least a month now. There's a lot of and, episodes. Uh, There's definitely a lot of episodes out there. Well, I thought I was close to the end, and I looked, and I was still on season two. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it just moves so quickly. It, it, like, And these characters are, are so like fully developed, and Batman is still a little kid. <laughs> you know, it's a... Yeah, it's not a good show, but uh, I originally started watching it when my girlfriend was out of town. I like to have something on the TV in the background. And I was like, oh, yeah, Batman, Gotham. I, I remember when the show was on the air. I, I watched a few. And uh, it's just really deeply silly. And if even if you take out the Batman mythos and lore, it's just a bad cop show like a really bad one that doesn't seem to have any knowledge of police procedure or anything. Uh, and they, you add the Batman stuff and it's just sort of like a very weird take on that world, like Schumacher esque and deeply campy and silly and goofy. Did you ever, I know you like Batman, so I'm yeah. assuming you've probably seen, seen the show or I, at least some of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I acknowledge it's not 
very well. I mean, there are things about it I like actually. I find it entertaining. And um Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean I don't consider this to be part of like the Batman canon in any way, you know? And uh, right. my mom yeah. actually liked she turned me on to the show. I remember one, one time oh, okay. I was visiting up there and my mother asked me if I'd seen Gotham, you know, and I was like I I would heard about it. It looked intriguing to me because I am a Batman fan and we watched a few episodes together and I thought it was pretty entertaining. Like I like their take on the penguin in that, you know. Mm. Yeah, sort of like, you know, starting off as like a low level like sycophant scumbag who's like, you know, evilly plotting away in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. The Joker and the take on the Joker oh, I God. thought was kind of kind of weird. Like he was this almost like this guy doing David Bowie or something like that as the Joker, you know? Yeah. And again, all these Batman villains are almost completely fully formed. And, you know, this uh, and you're still years away from him, became the kid becoming Batman. And it, it's just a strange take. You know, it's always been my perception is that, well, Batman uh, brings the strangeness to Gotham. He's yeah. like a, a, a magnet. And here it's sort of the opposite where I don't know if he does show up in the show, but if he does, it's not going to seem that strange because you've already had all of these fucking weirdos and crazy outfits like tearing up the city. Yeah, that's, so, that, uh, that was, that's always been my um, take on it as well. And, and well, like I said, it's like a weird alternative multiverse version of Batman, I guess, you know. It's also, yeah, interesting that you have really, really good actors up against really bad actors. Like you have seasoned character actors and they're acting as someone who like should be on a CW show. Yeah, that's right. That's true. I can see that. It, they have it, uh, Donald, it, Donald Logue is in that. Yeah, he's great. I love him. Yeah. Um, you got him. You got uh, the, the guy who plays Falcone. I don't know his name, but he was on The Wire. Very good character actor. Kind of always plays like a hard ass. He's very good at it. Uh, you know, Michael Chiklis from The Shield, also a great actor. And then you got like a lot of like sort of people who are casting bigger parts who aren't really up to the task. You have, uh, uh, what's her name? Jada Pinkett Smith just hamming it up every fucking second she's on screen. But, uh, you know, she know, I, she seems to get it. She knows the kind of show she's in and the tone they're going for. So, I, you know, it's not a great performance, but it's a, it's fitting of the show. Yeah, I, I prefer her work in extreme music, actually, to her work on Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I forgot about that. She was in a fucking quote-unquote metal band, that's right. Yeah, it's like this new metal band. It's kind of funny. What would they call it, like, Wicked something? Yeah, something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. anytime you have Wicked in your name, it's, it's probably not good. Uh, what about you, man? What have, what have you been... Uh catching up on well the biggest news of the week is i saw terrifier 2 a couple nights uh -oh. ago. oh oh in yeah, the man. theater yep i did wanted you, to did see... you pass out and vomit no no but some people did leave during the during the screening yeah there are some uh, really? it, it was um you know this is like the extended week it was it's supposed to be out of the theaters already but the movie's been uh killing it at the at the box office so they extended it another week and um i thought well if I'm going to see it in a theater, I got to make my move. So, uh, you know, yeah. Wednesday night, I um, you know, pre-purchased tickets. It was only showing in one theater in this area, down in uh, New Brunswick, not the AMC by my house, but like right down 
like uh, another town away. So uh, I got tickets for the one showing they had. I went. There was like, uh, you know, still a fair amount of people there. And uh, two and a half hours did not seem like two and a half hours. And uh, there's a couple of people who couldn't hang and they left. Did you say two and a half hours? Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's okay. Color me intrigued. It's, um, dude, it, it's, I, I, I don't, we're going to talk about it, so I don't want to get too into it, but I, I really, sure. really fucking liked it, man. And, um, I have been on board with Art the Clown, you know, when he was in all the, the brief, uh, you know, his first appearance in All Hallows Eve, um, that, sort of i guess it's a a collection of shorts that damien leone did mm. and uh and then of course the first terrifier which was you know just a study in extreme violence you know but it was still i saw some you know promise with that and the second one man the, the terrifier 2 it's mm-hmm. like leaps and bounds a huge level up for damien leone leone damien leone okay yeah and it's um, I mean, I was blown away by how good it was. Honestly, you know, I, I mean, sure, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I let's get that right out there on the table that this is not for everyone. This movie, absolutely not. But if it's uh, if you, if you can enjoy stuff like this, then this is this is, I think, one of the best slasher films made since you know since slasher films started. Really, wow. Yeah. Okay. I remember when we, you and I did our very first podcast together, uh, Everything Went Black. I forget the number, but we did our top 10 horror movies of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And Terrifier was on your list. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm very aware of your fondness of them. I, you know, I took one look at the trailer for Terrifier and was like, yeah, no, not for me. But maybe uh, I should rethink that. I should give it a watch. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the... At the end of the movie, when I was driving home. I was like th- thinking about like, man, the cool thing I like about it, and we'll definitely get more into this when we talk about it, you know, either with you or Mike or whatever. But like, it's um, there's a lot of this worship of the '80s going on in in a lot of films. Yeah. All right, we're making a slasher, you know, or we're remaking Halloween, or redoing this, or redoing that, or redoing Hellraiser, like we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Damien Leone made a film that takes that stuff it doesn't seem nostalgic in any way but it's in the same spirit of those movies he's not trying to like add depth to the character or modernize it in any way like this movie is sort of uh timeless the the setting of terrifier 2 could be could be in the 80s or it could be now or it could be you know five years ago there's no reference there's no catering to nostalgia or anything in this film and uh, and also there's like a huge, in my opinion, a huge nod to Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and just how over the top the violence is bordering on camp. And that's <clears throat> that's really what this movie's all about, man. And and but there's definitely some fucking high concepts going on, too, which I really appreciated and a uh, whole like world building that went on during this. And there's going to be more of these movies. So I'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, oh, great. And also, like, it's been a great month for horror. It's cleaning up at the box office. That is, and you have Smile, Barbarian, all overperforming. And Halloween ends, which, you know, I'll save my thoughts on that for when we talk about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, underperformed a little bit, but still 
you know, made a good chunk of change. It's it's profitable. It's a hit. Oh, you mean last week's episode about Halloween? <laughs> yeah, that, yes. Yeah, oh, yes. That, yeah, or, that's what I meant. We're doing this out little, of sequence. Little, little, <laughs> yeah. little brain fart there. For no, a that's all good, man. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> on board, you know. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to handle nostalgia, too. Like, uh, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a movie like It Follows, which is kind of how I would describe it, too. Like, it feels timeless. Like, this could have taken place in the 80s or the 90s, and it's not overly nostalgic but just has that that vibe to it yeah no absolutely it's 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 in line with that too in a lot of ways you know i mean that's for sure it is um let's see what else i uh i checked out the new american horror story Uh, i was pleasantly surprised that there was a new season honestly uh brandon actually told me about it brandon legion over at the horror wolf podcast he mentioned something to me and i was like oh yeah that's right and i lo and behold it was on Hulu, so I watched it. And the first episode I thought was was really good, you know. Oh, okay. I've only seen I've, two seasons of that show, very spread out. One was um, enjoyable trash, and the other was just trash. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for that that show. I, I don't – I will never back it in a way – like I would never go to the mats for this show, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to be like a diehard fan or anything, but I watch every, every season when it comes out. I'm there, and I – I I think there's a lot every season had something good and something bad about it and and yeah ultimately for me it was enjoyable and quite entertaining and I was excited because I was like oh wow you know this is cool like um there was some uh, unpleasant business in the early part of the evening I had I had to manage and then I turned the tv on and then it was like oh wow American Horror Story let me watch this you know and and it was pretty Mm. good you know, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, I get the appeal. Uh, it's not like it's completely lost on me why people would like it. Uh, and I'll probably end up watching more seasons. Uh, also, is that's the kid who plays Dahmer who's in that. Uh, Evan Pierce. Those, those, yep. Yeah, yeah. I, he's one of the X-Men, too, I think. Quicksilver. Uh, yeah. Quicksilver. Right, yep. right, right. Yeah. Um, great actor. I know. I, I really back that dude man and i think that he was in a, a couple of movies like low budget films but primarily he's he's a tv actor and uh yeah i just i just think that guy's a great actor man he's he's um you know very uh i i would like to see him in a, in a film you know what i mean i feel like him and bill skarsgård are similar in some ways mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah, for sure. They're like the most handsome, weird-looking dudes uh, ever. You know? Yeah, born to be character actors. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he played a maga troll, like cult leader, and then the one season I kind of kind yeah. of enjoyed of American Horror Story, and he was very good in it. And you know, again, just knew the the kind of show he was in. So his performance is a little campy, a little fun, but grounded and serious when it needed to be i thought he was uh one of the big reasons i kept kept watching oh totally yeah yeah i've been watching the 100 scariest moments on shutter you know oh yeah me too yeah generally pretty good but i have to say man too much annihilation on there and i you know not for nothing the bear is not scary (laughs) that's all i have to say about it man (laughs) were you not a fan of that movie um, I just was kind of unmoved by it, I guess. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. 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 I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I could. I don't 
you know, I, th- I can see there's a lot to like about it, but I feel like a lot of the story might have been left uh, un- untold. Or maybe, you know, maybe this needed to be, because it, it's based on a trilogy of books. And right. um, Re- actually, Rennie and I were just texting about this, and um, he's going to loan me the, uh, the first one to read. So I'm going to check it out. And, uh, okay, I, I only knew that that was a series of books when there was a little bit of controversy when the movie came out that I believe the character that Natalie Portman plays in the book is Asian. Oh, some neckbeard is like, you know, she's she's uh, Korean instead of this white lady. You know, like someone was like really upset. About some, <laughs> some, yeah, some some white lady was upset <laughs> by, <laughs> by it or something. I, I, I don't know. They're upset yeah. about this movie that no one fucking saw. Yeah. Um uh, that's interesting though. Yeah, I wouldn't really consider that a scary movie. I think the the, the bear with the human scream is is deeply unsettling. But uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it would make my top one hundred scariest moments. But uh, I do enjoy shows like that. You know, and yeah. they're fun to watch with your partner or friend or whatever. And and uh, you know, talk about the movies they're talking about. I, I enjoy that stuff yeah, uh, no, I, a lot. I, those are those are these these hundreds these film these types of shows where it's like lists and all that I really like they're fun you know and they have a lot of people yeah. like you know Fede Alvarez is on there Kate you know Kate Siegel Segal Kate, Kate Siegel how do you say her last yes, name Yes, some I think uh, I don't I'm not sure is yeah. she related to Steven Seagal <laughs> Imagine <laughs> well uh, which 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 leads me to, uh, leads me to ask. What do you think number one is going to be, and what would be your number one? Oh, dude, um, I'll tell you right now what my number one would be. It would be the the moment that uh, Captain Howdy's face gets flashed on the screen in Exorcist. Ah, good yeah. choice. Yeah, I, very good choice. I've told this many times before, but the very my earliest cinematic memory is sitting in the backseat of my parents' car to drive in, watching The Exorcist. It was like, I was way too young to see that movie, and uh, I that movie deeply affects me because of that experience, I believe. Mm. Yeah, so that ter- yeah. terrified me when I was a kid, and it still terrifies me. Like I still, when I, even now, because I just watched it a few days ago, and I was like, that scene's coming up, man. I'm going to close my eyes. You know, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that face. Oh, there's a face, you know, like just... <laughs> You know, that face, ah, you know, and, um, but yeah, it's, uh, that, that's probably my number one, honestly. Great pick. And it's, it's amazing how something like that, seeing it, something so young can affect you throughout your entire life. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Cause you know, my number one, I, if I'm being honest, uh, maybe Jaws when the kid gets eaten, but sure. it would be the, the Jordy Barrow, uh, segment of Creep Show. Yeah, man. Yeah. That I know, seeing it as an adult, it's campy and goofy. But man, seeing that as a young kid really disturbed me to the point where I didn't want to walk on grass after watching that. Yeah, dude, I, I need to. <laughs> I need. I, I have to watch that one before Halloween is is Creep Show. I gotta. I gotta check that out again. Yeah, man, that's like every few years. Yeah, you gotta watch Creep Show, and you know, Creep Show too. Also, you know, not that bad. Yeah, yeah, we, we've been talking about that one a lot over the last few months. Um, yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. So also, I went back and started rewatching the Hannibal TV series, which I always loved. And um, okay, and I've never seen it. It's great. It's on. I think it's on Hulu. So if you want, I highly recommend it to anyone out there who is interested in uh, Hannibal Lecter. This is a very, very interesting 
take on the story, and it's more about Will Graham, actually. And uh, it takes mm. place before Silence of the Lambs, so it's like a prequel to that whole thing. And uh, Oh, okay. It's dark, man, and just somber and very heavy feeling. And it's uh, obviously it, it got canceled because it was on NBC. It wasn't on like a – it was before – the onslaught of Prime and Netflix and all this stuff. It was when regular television was still a thing. And people were just mm. turned off by it because it was too heavy, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's what kept me away from it. I was a horror on NBC uh, or whatever network it was on. But, uh, you know, that guy, the creator of the show, he's on a lot of these shows that Brian we're talking Fuller. about, the 101. Yeah, yeah and... I hear him on podcasts all the time. He seems like a very interesting fellow. I like Brian Fuller, man. Every, first of all, everything has to do with being gay. Everything, number one, according to him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I noticed. Male sexual tension, but whatever. That's cool. I mean, I'm down with whatever his thoughts are about those things. But I really enjoy that guy whenever he's a guest on anything. And um, I do too. Yeah, and he just he told a story about a serial killer that was in the town that he grew up in. You know, I think in Colorado, maybe. And I, I went and I researched it a little bit, and I, I put some notes together, but I never followed up on anything. But, um, but yeah, he's the guy's like a fan of this genre, and he's got really cool ideas. And uh, I look forward to it. Apparently, he's redoing uh, Christine or something like that, I think. Yeah, which I'm very, very curious to see his, his, his take on that. It's going to be like a Scorpio Rising version of uh, Christine or something, like a, <laughs> like a Kenneth Anger version of that of the take on that, maybe. <laughs> yeah well uh yeah uh hopefully that happens you know uh hopefully that that gets made because yeah i'd really like to see his his take it's a fairly straightforward um book but uh we'll see you know i heard him on a podcast talking about christine before he was even attached to direct it or anything like and he had a he had a take on it that was you know pretty different (laughs) I appreciate so. it though, man, because it's just everyone's got a different lens that they see the world through, man. And I, I, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. That's pretty interesting, you know. And, and that's why I don't discredit remakes because someone could have a unique take on something. Someone could watch a film and think, hey, I, I got ideas to, to, in this world, you know. It, it, just because it's a remake doesn't automatically mean it's crap or unoriginal or, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, totally. And then to round it out, you know, since it is the Halloween season, I've been banging out episodes. Well, actually, let me, let me rephrase that. I've been watching episodes of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, pretty religiously. Oh, okay. Yeah, every um, every uh, every evening, I've been checking out a couple of those, and they're they're always fun. I was a big fan in the in the back in the nineties, and um, yeah, I never yeah, I love it, man. I, th- I you know what, man, it still holds up to this day. The writing on the show is great. The dialogue is great. It's um, I mean, Joss Whedon. I know people have their ideas about him, but sure. but um, I think that he's a master storyteller, and I think that uh, this the series really holds up. It's it's fun. There's like uh, you know a bit of that comedic element to it, but there's also really good storylines too, and good characters. Mm-hmm. And I really, I've always loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is, uh, it's crazy that a movie that kind of went nowhere and wasn't really well loved at the time spawned such a, a popular quintessential 90s TV show. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think about the 90s TV, you're going to think of, you know, X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and fucking, I don't know, Friends or something like that. Or Twin Peaks, too. Yeah. Oh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, look. Was Twin Peaks not the eighty no, nine or was, Twin Peaks might have been the nineteen ninety or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Good point. Uh, somehow that escaped my mind, but yes. Well, Twin Peaks. Yeah. There, I didn't own a TV throughout the entire nineties, so I, you know, I, I like, you know, I was on this kind of Huck Finn adventure through most of the nineties, and um, <laughs> and I didn't really watch Twin Peaks live on TV. You know, I, I watched it like on VHS tapes. Me too. Uh, actually, the very first two or three months uh, I lived in Boston, I was hanging out with Chris Mershak, the original keyboardist for ISIS. Uh, we knew each other from Connecticut, and you know, I'd just go over to his dorm room, and it, we'd watch like bang out like two or three episodes of Twin Peaks. And uh, I, 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 the show was great, but again, it will forever remind me of that time in my life. Anytime Twin Peaks is on, I think of. You know, being 20 years old, being in, being in Boston City for the, you know, living in the city for the first time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I also uh, didn't own a TV. Yeah, totally, man. It's like, I would I would be in houses where there would be TVs, but, uh, you know, it, we would just have like a VHS player or something like that. We didn't really have like a connection or the cable or there'd be like the rabbit ears and you get like one channel or something, you know, back in the dawn of time, you know, before everything was wired the, the way it is now crazy isn't it like it wasn't that long ago we were watching square boxes but you know uh, watching vhs tapes on them See, <laughs> you the know thing. it wasn't that, really that long ago that's the thing it is a long time ago <laughs> when you really you know what you're it. right yeah bro. <laughs> yeah like people have lived entire lives in that period of time <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah it, it, it's nuts i think about my grandmother who died just a few months shy of being 100 look at all the changes she saw in that in that span yeah, I mean, you showed her a cell phone. She thought it was like the devil or something. Sorcery. She didn't know what the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, oh God, if I make it that long, who the fuck knows what the world's gonna look like? Well, before we get going on the sh- on the subject of today's episode, I want to talk to you about some of the other friends we have out there, the legions <laughs> of the apocalypse, the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Is who I'm returning. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I told you not to drink before the podcast. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the horsemen, no longer four of the podcasting apocalypse. So pretty much every day of the week, we've got you guys covered with incredible content, adventurous, incredible content. Starting on Monday, we have the Horror Wolf 666 podcast hosted by our friend Brandon Legion. On Tuesday, we have Into the Necrosphere, which if you like metal and extreme music, this is for you. It's the only music podcast I even listen to, and that's brought to you every week by my friend, Jackie Smith. Wednesday is Everything Went Black, which is uh, a podcast that I've been doing as a labor of love for many, many years at this point, and it's very eclectic. Mm -hmm. It has uh, interviews. It's got, you know, little shows on there. We talk about records. We got bands on there as I guess. We have writers on there. We have filmmakers, um, all kinds of stuff that kind of reflects the things that I'm interested in, and hopefully some of you are, inter- are interested in it as well. Of course, Absolutely. Thursday. Of course, Thursday is Necro Thursday, <laughs> which is uh, 
Necromaniacs coming at you with an action-packed episode every week. Friday is Breaking the Apo- Break the Apocalypse, featuring Mike Scandato's brother, John Draper. And that's like a very uh, observational, comedic take on the world we live in. We take Saturday yeah. off. You know, Saturday is a good day. Friday night, you go out, have a good time. Saturday is the day you recover. But Sunday, the Lord's Day, Carl Hikara comes at you with soul knocks for all things occult, esoteric, and just strange. So that's uh, pretty much all we have, man. That's like a really solid offering. So when you guys are that's done, all. yeah, when you guys are done with this, check these shows out. Absolutely, and I'd like to point out. I'm sure I pointed out before you were the very first person I knew that had a podcast before I even knew what the fucking podcast was. <laughs> You're like, what the I hell? I often you... refer to you <laughs> as the Joe Rogan of metal. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Oh, you mean like I'm a, I'm like a anti-vaxxer, like meathead basically. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But just, you know, when I think of the early days of podcasting, those are the names that come up, Joe Rogan and Mike Hill. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I started, I mean, Joe Rogan really is where everyone, I think, most people kind of look to him as like the uh, inspiration to doing this thing, really. I mean, I like Joe Rogan. I I didn't mean to come off as disparaging. Uh, but, you know, I, just like everyone else, you agree with some stuff, you don't agree with certain things. Um, you know, there's criticisms to be made all around at everybody for everything. No one's perfect. You know, right. so why, why should you, you know, want everyone to be on point all the time? That's just the way... Law of averages says that sometimes you're wrong about things. That's how it is. Absolutely. And I'd also like to point out I have been a guest on Everything Went Black. So go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear me spew some bullshit. Oh, yeah. We've had Eugene Robinson. We had Jeff. We had um, uh, Aaron Harris has been on a few times. Uh, Aaron Turner has been on there, I think. Yes, um, yes. Keith yeah. Morris was on. <laughs> like, we have like a bunch of people on there. Yeah. I collected guests that you just had my good, good friend john lamacchia on that john lamacchia yep yep that's right sarah, yeah. sarah timms sarah timms has been on yes yes great sarah awesome great stuff karen crisis for all you new yorkers out there she was a guest on a few years ago so oh wow i remember her from way back in the day yeah that's yeah, uh yeah. yeah it's fun so <laughs> hellraiser what can we say yes. about this movie well, where do you want to start, Mike? Let's. When's the last time you watched the the original run of Hellraisers? Have you seen them all, or has it been a while? Yeah, I've, I've seen them. Well, actually, you know what? I tapped out after four, I believe. Okay, so I haven't oh, really see. watched okay. any of the later ones. I, I I thought I saw all of them, and then I was watching like uh, someone critique. There was one where one or two that Doug Brady wasn't in. Someone else was playing Kenhead. So then I realized I have not seen all of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I read on, on Everything Went Black, I did like a little more about the Hellbound Heart. But uh, Paul from um, Wrestle Spirit came on and we talked about our expectations of this movie. We hadn't seen it because the movie hadn't come out. So that episode was more of like an exploration and review of our experiences with the IP and what our thoughts are about the book. You know, which I hold in very hard, you know, very high esteem. First sure. film and all the series. So if maybe as a refresher, if you guys want to go back and want, listen to that, that'd be cool too. But I, I haven't seen all of them. I've only seen up until like four. Yeah, for uh, I guess you can call it research. I watched the first four uh, before uh, this Hellraiser came out, 
And I mean, it's interesting. I remember two as a kid being my favorite and being the best Hellraiser movie. Watching it now, I'm not even sure I really liked it. Yeah, man. I, I've had this very same conversation with other people, too. Um, I think Paul and I actually talked about it. And uh, I don't like it as much as I remember liking the second one. Okay? Yes. Yeah. And uh, the first one, the original, I, I watch that every couple of months, man. Like, I always put that on. I love the first Hellraiser movie. And, you know, I love the Hellbound Heart novella. And essentially, that's the same... It's just a you know movie cinematic version of that novella, and it works really right. well. I think there's so much in that story, you know, and none of the sequels or reimaginings of this thing have captured what I really consider to be the essence of the story, which I think is presented in the first movie and in in the novella, you know, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. So that that to me is gold. The second one, I don't hate it, but. I don't enjoy it as much as that. I still enjoy it. Okay, I'll still watch the two back to back and be kind of into it. But it has the uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You know, it just doesn't rate that high with me these days. No, it kind of has no plot either. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just a bunch of things kind of happening, and you just go along with it. I think, um, yeah, it's and and the thing where it falls short, and this happens all the time in every franchise, is when they try to explain, they try to give backstories to these characters, like the the more supernatural characters, you know, like the Cenobites. I don't, right. I, I like it vague. I think they should stay vague. I agree. I mean, the, the my thoughts of the first one holds up better than I remember it. I liked it more seeing it now. I hadn't seen it in probably ten years or so. It's a great movie. And considering Clive Barker had never directed before, it's really impressive. And he got a, like, the Cenobites aren't the centerpiece. They're not even really the bad guys. They're just sort of these hell priests doing their job. And they're not in the movie a lot. And I think that's why it works. I think that's what makes them so creepy. Yes, and I agree with that 100%. Because the, the Hellraiser movie... You know, and I'm, I'm going to say Hellraiser. I'm not going to say Hellbound Heart. Okay, Hellraiser idea sure. is more almost akin to like a cosmic horror Lovecraftian story where these malevolent forces are very, they're just amoral. Like they don't have a, a evil or good aspect to them. They're dark, but they're just like acting out their nature really. You know what I mean? Like there's a world right. of, of heightened extreme experience. And if you want to step into that threshold, these are the forces that you have to contend with. They're not evil. It's your decision to go into that world. And that's, you know, hence Frank. You know, Frank is a guy who's always looking for the next sensation, the next experience, you know. And, and he chose to go into that world and open a doorway into this dimension of you know pain and pleasure in, indistinguishable basically you know and that's that's like the essence of the film and the Cenobites are just like part of that environment that that they exist in you know and it, and it's a love story between you know uh, Frank and Julia and that's that's the centerpiece yeah. of the story really absolutely and and yeah it's the main characters are not very likable and you spend the majority of the movie with them. Mm -hmm. It does have some generic 80s tropes, but, you know, whatever, like, you know, you got to, uh, 
the daughter Julia. Oh, uh, uh, who's the daughter is uh, Kirsty. Kirsty, that was it. Yeah, yeah Julia was the. Uh, yeah, Kirsty's a little underwritten. Uh, you're in kind of like your typical '80s final girl, but you know, whatever. Uh, aside from that kind of stuff, it holds up really well, especially when you compare it to Hellraiser three and four. Uh, which I've never seen four before, but I had seen three right when it came out, and man, like <laughs> it shows you how wrong something like this can go. Oh, yeah, I mean, man. they kind of turned Pinhead into like Freddy Krueger and the bad guy in this evil, cackling, laughing guy creating CD CD spitting centibytes. Oh man, <laughs> and uh, it's really awful. I, I'm kind of surprised that the movie has the, as much love as it does. Uh, I know a lot of people who like that one a lot. Really? Yeah. Oddly enough, maybe it's an age thing, you know, maybe like they were like nine or so or 10 when they saw it, you know, and it had a different sort of effect on them. Whereas I was, you know, a teenager or something. And now I'm an adult and it, the whole thing was just absolutely silly and stupid and kind of just shit all over like Clyde Barker's creation. I think. I really don't like the third one at all, actually. <laughs> I remember you and I talked about talk, talking about it, actually. We were going to do something with um, maybe maybe the entire run or something, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, man, I don't I, – I can't I, – I have nothing really good to say about this, this film, so, you know. Yeah, well, and then you compare that to 4. I mean, 4 is just an abomination, man. It's yeah. really bad. It takes it to another uh, level of, of – poor filmmaking you know yeah i mean it was credited to alan smithy the famous synonym of uh of someone who a director who wants their name removed from the film uh so if a director sees i don't know i'm sure most people know this but if a director doesn't back his movie he'll fight to have his name name taken off it and for a good chunk of time they would just use the name alan smith so this is an alan smith movie (laughs) that's funny John's uh, yeah, it is funny. Yeah. Alan, uh, and, uh, oh man, four is just bad. Well, when you take your franchise to outer space, you, you know, things are you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. That happened in other franchises actually too, where they go into outer space. Yeah. Jason X, mm-hmm. uh, Friday 1310 or, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Very bad. Um, uh, leprechaun movie. I think they went to space in like the third or fourth one. Um, uh, those movies were just bad to begin with, so it didn't... <laughs> yeah. you didn't you didn't have very good starter material on that one either. So you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, just that whole franchise is just scraping the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, like uh, so that brings us to Hellraiser twenty twenty two. It was inevitable that this was going to be remade. Watching the first one, I can see how someone can watch this and think. Oh, I got an idea set in this world. I, I, I got something cool to say about this. I wasn't completely, completely against it being remade. How did, how, how did you feel? Uh, I was so jaded by years of disappointment with this, <laughs> like, with this franchise, where I was like, you know what, man? Why the hell not? You know what I mean? But like, because you know the comic book adaptations, like they, the comics have taken this storyline in different directions, and it's possible, I think, to make interesting stories within this world with the Cenobites, you know? And uh, I thought maybe in this day and age where people are taking, you know, the comic books seriously, that Mm -hmm. maybe they would read a few of those and maybe 
be inspired. You know, maybe not so much adapting them, but having their um, imaginations uh, inspired by some of the stories that were done. You know, and uh, well, they, they didn't do that in this one, unfortunately. But, <laughs> I was gonna ask yeah. if I didn't read the comics, but no, no, it didn't comics, feel like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't. Um, so, but I went into it with an open mind, man. I'm like, you know what? Maybe you know, I everyone was up in arms that Jamie Clayton was going to be the hell priest, you know, and I'm like, that didn't, I didn't care. You know what I mean? It was like, whatever you want to, not even a bit. Yeah. Not even it, a thing. Did not care. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to me, Doug Bradley will always be the hell priest, but I understand, you know, the dude's no spring chicken, you know, I get it. Sure. And this is, this is its own thing. They're, they're doing their own thing. Exactly. This is not a legacy sequel. This is a remake. They're starting a new series of Hellraiser movies. Well, probably. I, I, I'm sure more of these will pop up. Well, another thing, there was also a, a series that HBO was going to be doing on Hellraiser 2 that Paul and I talked about this. There was like all this um, press about a series that had nothing to do with this film that HBO was going to do. And then that just got lost in the shuffle. Like, I don't even know if that's happening anymore. Yeah, see, I, I, yeah, I, I had read so much stuff. I was kind of confused. Like, I was like, oh, is this, is this a series? Is this a movie? Uh, I wasn't sure. So, yeah, I, I also don't know the status uh, of that. I think was David Gordon Green involved with it at some point. The hell, well, uh, I mean, the Halloween remake guy or, or sequel guy. There have been a host of other people that were involved originally in, in potentially uh directing and writing this and uh, that was and, a good sign <laughs> yeah some they've been this has been in like in discussion since like 2008 i think and um wow yeah there there is uh let me think let me go back and see i have some notes here um yeah this this goes all the way back to um 2006 that's when uh barker was actually uh you know, that he would be writing the script for a forthcoming remake. That was back in 2006. In 2007, oh, wow. Julian Mowry and Alexandra Bustillo were supposed to direct it. And as you know, those are the guys who did uh, um, Martyrs, the French film Martyrs. Now, that would have been a very interesting take. And, and that's what I'm trying to say, man. Like, that was, uh, you know, that... That would have been fucking amazing, I thought. You know what I mean? Actually, Most likely, yes. Did I get that right? Hold on a second. Martyrs. I thought they were they did inside. No, you're right. Insane. You know what? I fucked that up. And I, and I, shame on me because I just talked about um like one of my favorite movies and I got it wrong. <laughs> but okay, uh -oh. inside was an, is is another great. All right, so this is what's going on in 2006, 2007. All right. Okay. Pascal Logier, who did, who was, who was the director of Martyrs, was also attached to this too. So I'm not I'm completely out of my mind when I came up with this stuff. <laughs> so originally it was the, the the team that did Inside, okay, and then Pascal Logier was supposed to do it, who did Martyrs, okay. And now this is all between 2006 and 2009, and that's when all the French extreme was hitting the United States. There was that whole, right. all those great films, Inside, Martyrs, Frontiers, you know, uh, High Tension, like all high, yeah, High Tension. 
um, all those movies were starting to to really sink in with the American audiences out here, and those were big names, like up and comers back then. Now, my can you imagine if either the Inside Guys or the Martyrs director teamed up with Clive Barker to reimagine the Hellraiser universe? What that would have been like? I I can't imagine, and I'm sad it doesn't exist. Yeah. So that that's would have made a lot of sense to me, especially you know the martyrs angle. Like even that storyline, you know, is is so much in line with with the idea of Hellraiser. So yeah. And I think we were gonna would have gotten something much much more disturbing. Martyrs is a film I can't ever watch again. <laughs> it's like my favorite I, movie that I've only watched once. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, so them playing in this sandbox with Clive Barker's involvement, I mean, uh, that just—I mean, on paper, that's a home run. I mean, no question. Yeah. So uh, that this is when things kind of get get hazy. Like as back in 2019, uh, another guy was involved. Barker was out of the picture, and that's when this discussion of having a se- a series and a film that aren't related was put on the table. And that's how uh, David Bruckner, who directed the night house got on- online with this whole thing. And he, he directed, he was the director. So I guess let's give the credits. Now it's directed by David Bruckner, who directed the ritual the night house. Mm-hmm. And there's a rumor that he's going to remake the exorcist. All right. <laughs> oh, interesting. Cause I know David Gordon green was attached or is still currently attached to that. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Uh, written, yeah. written by Ben Collins and Luke Petrowski. Now, those two writers also were the writers of The Night House. Okay, so hmm. there's an aura here, okay? Bruckner and his, his writing staff, The Night House, which I did not like, and Hellraiser, okay? But Bruckner directed The Ritual, which I liked. Okay, so I guess I'm, I'm trying to formulate who, who should get the bulk of my vitriol about this movie. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about uh, the yeah. director for a second. You and I covered The Night House. Yes. We both thought it was, uh, you know, I think we both gave it a three. It's not terrible, but it's kind of stupid when you really stop to think about it. Um, the ritual, you liked a lot more than I did. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I would okay. say it's about the same. All right. Uh, there is something just flat about his directing. Um, almost workmanlike. Doesn't really seem to have a vision and seems like an odd choice for Hellraiser. I agree 100%. You know, and um, it, I think when, when uh, the Night House came out, you reminded me that this is the guy who was going to be handling Hellraiser. And that's, mm. when, that's when some of my... Um, trepidations about watching Hellraiser and whether or not I would enjoy enjoy it started surfacing was during this period. Right. Um, Yeah, just uh, right away, uh, a a weird choice to have this this kind of guy do something uh, uh, so something that's requires a vision. Like, even if you don't like the original Hellraiser, it is definitely Clive Barker's vision. It's got his fingerprints all over it. And that's, I think, what makes it special. It's handled with someone who really cares and has a connection to the material. This movie, right off the bat, 
feels very workmanlike. And before we even start talking about the movie, I have to get this out of the way. Fucking commercials during a movie on a streaming service that you pay for. Yeah, dude. It was just fucking rude, man. I agree. Uncalled for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, so yeah, anyway, um, this movie is that even without commercials, it's two hours long. Uh, when I saw that runtime, I thought, oh, interesting. Maybe we're going to get a slow burn, maybe more of a detective's type story, like a mystery. But that was not the movie that, that I saw. The, the feeling I got is no one read the book and no one really, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like no one did their homework on this this universe, really, you know? Yeah, it, like, uh, you know... And, I don't like to bring up like marketing and exterior things when talking about a movie because it has nothing to do with the quality of the movie itself. But when I started trotting out Clyde Barker to talk about this in the in the press, it kind of was like, hmm, <laughs> you know, they're, they're really trying to sell it. Like, oh, Clyde Barker liked it. He's he's backing it. Like, ah, that doesn't mean it's good, and that doesn't mean that's true. That'd be funny if there was footage of them handle, handing him like a envelope with money, like after he makes these statements. It's like there's <laughs> yeah. some like cell phone footage of some someone handing him like a big envelope, you know, or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is my sneaking suspicion that something like that happened. But uh, you know, in the movie that's two hours long, right off, right almost immediately, I thought I, I, you could shave the first seven or eight minutes out of this movie because. It has two intros. You, the first scene is in Serbia. I was like, okay, interesting. And then maybe a minute later, you're in Massachusetts to uh, the second intro, which I thought was just a very weird, unnecessary thing to even have that scene in, in, in Serbia. You know, why is that in the movie? It doesn't really, it doesn't need to be there. This thing's two hours long and right there, boom, cut a couple minutes out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, two hours, it was a hard two hours, honestly, on this one. Yeah, and then you get this, like, intro that really just turned me off to it almost immediately. It looked like a TV show. That's that's exactly my feelings about it, which I was going to bring up, was the overall just, like, lack of grit to this film, you know? Like, the way it looked. yeah. It is so vanilla and safe. And, okay, so uh, let's talk about the intro scene a little bit for a second. First of all, what is this fucking kid doing at this party? Oh, <laughs> yeah, got, you mean uh, Joey Cascuna as played by Kit Clark? Yes. <laughs> Kit, <laughs> Kit, Clark, Kit Clark is like, I wonder if, I, I didn't, I should look up to see if that's like a porno name almost. You know what I mean? He, he looks like he might have done his uh, done some time in that world. Yeah, like um, an adult film actor, Kit Clark. Yeah. Yeah, and his performance is about as good as one of those. Uh, again, he's in a tank top and looks sort of like I, I mean, I got a male escort kind of vibe from his character. Well, yeah, he was he was uh, like a sex worker. That's what they were trying to frame him up as. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're right, because I remember they, they call him a sex worker, not a prostitute. Yeah. Uh, which irked me for some reason. I can't really explain why, but it bothered me. Anyway, um, 
you get this scene and you know what's coming. This guy's bait for the box. And this movie just really thinks it's clever when you hear him screaming in pain, which morphs into two people having sex in the next scene, Uh, which is about as clever as this movie gets. Yeah, let, let's just run down some of the cast, too. So, of course, we have Kit Clark as Joey Cascuna, <laughs> the first victim of this film. Um, and then uh, the star, I would say, is Odessa Azion, Azion as uh, Riley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's a recovering drug addict. I got some thoughts about that. <laughs> Her boyfriend, since we were just talking about, um, you know, the two of them uh, having sex, is uh, Drew Starkey as Trevor. And uh, the two of them met in like uh, an A, uh, what is it, NA meeting, like Nat Narcotics Association. Like yeah. yeah, they met in that sort of meeting. Uh, Jamie Clayton, who has always been in the press about being the Hell Priest, is uh, is also in this film. Now, let me ask you a question: All hmm. the hubbub about her being cast as the Hell Priest, she's not really. A, I wouldn't even say she's a major player in this film. No, she's hardly in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Everyone was concerned about um, her being a woman. Oh, you know, we, why we have a woman? Uh, you know, she's. It, it's irrelevant whether or not she was a man or a woman, really. And it's just she's she's like dressing the scene dressing, really, for the most part. Yeah, uh, there was some sort of backlash against this, as you know, calling it the woke. Hellraiser movie because you know before it, anyone had seen a second of footage it was dubbed that uh, we have uh, Brandon Flynn as her brother Matt and uh, Brandon um, Brandon Flynn I've seen him I've seen his work before in um, 13 Reasons Why that that uh, suicide uh, show on Netflix oh never saw that I, you know, I quite liked it I mean it's definitely a YA type of thing but I thought it was good yeah, YA can be great. I like the Divergent movies. Yeah. Sue me. And um, Adam Faison, or if you're French, Faison, as Colin, mm-hmm. that's his partner. And then the various other people that play uh, the various Cenobites, and we don't have to go into everyone's name, but those are, I guess, I would call them the kind of main players in this film. Sure. And, of course, uh, Roland Voigt, oh, yeah, uh, played right. by mm-hmm. someone whose last name I can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah, he's actually, I left him out. That's uh, Gyarin Viznik. Viznik, yeah. Viznish, Viznish, maybe. So, yeah. Now, one thing I want to say, too, is a lot of these, um, a lot of people are commenting on how gay this is, this, how, how, how gay Hellraiser is. And I'm like, I'm like, mates, have you guys <laughs> seen and even know who fucking Clive Barker is? Right. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. How, what the fuck do you expect, man? This is, um, uh, yeah, yes, it is gay. It is very gay because that's kind of the trip, really. You know what I mean? I would argue that the original Hellraiser, although it has no gay characters in it, is is gayer than this movie. <laughs> you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, um, th- that's that's kind of the thing, man. It's like. Um, you know, I, I just think people are way too sensitive about or they don't know the background or they're not into, you know, don't know anything about Clive Barker, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, 
where you know the the creator of this ip is is you know aggressively gay like he is not not aggressive in a bad way but he is loud and proud about being gay and it's awesome absolutely yeah and his and, uh, a lot of his fiction has elements of that lifestyle in it and that's what you should be expecting when you you get into some of his storytelling you know even though this he didn't write this but the characters and the overall atmosphere of the show is should should reflect that you know so i would i expected there to be some sensuality or some hedonistic you know vibe and of course there was gay characters you know we had a gender switch on the uh hell priest which is largely irrelevant you know <laughs> so yeah well let, let, let's start with with that with the tin heads um as much as there was such a, a backlash about it, there also was, you know, and I did read some press about this. I try not to when we're covering it, but, you know, uh, it's been a few weeks. And people just praising her performance to as as amazing. And, and I thought, really? I mean, by no means was she bad. But I really think Pinhead is 90% that costume and the makeup. And... You just got to don't overact and, and you got it. You can do it, you know, and that's what she did. Yeah. I mean, nothing on her. I mean, she did what she was supposed to do because, I mean, her voice was, you know, pitch corrected or dropped in pitch. And, you know, it was a lot of uh, makeup and CGI and stuff. And it was I mean, the Cenobites were more of a prop in this movie, really, than anything else, you know. And, sure. Yeah, they were they were in the film because you have to have Cenobites in a Hellraiser film, you know. Yeah, and I really thought that was one of the few bright spots in the movie. I liked the redesign of the Cenobites. I thought they looked unsettling. Um, I thought, yeah, again, she was fine as Pinhead. She doesn't have much to do except, I mean, she, I don't even think she moves at all. Like she literally just stands there and, and delivers her lines. Yeah. But uh, it was a bright spot in an otherwise very vanilla movie that I think thinks it's more clever than it actually is. And you'd mentioned the main character, Riley, is a drug addict. And, you know, they make it a point to bring that up several times. But does that have any bearing on the plot of this movie whatsoever, did you think? No. And I'm going to go into some of this, too, because I have, like, a very... Um... I have some thoughts on this too. All right, when I first oh. when I first heard that, okay, the main character is a, a recovering drug addict. Okay, great. Now, it kind of I'm like mm, maybe this falls in line with like the Frank idea, you know? Um, since the Cenobites are are props in this movie, what what we're left with is the personal drama, okay? And that could lends itself to such. It could have been this like really heavy exploration into, you know, trying to push further with experience and using drugs to like, you know, gain higher levels of experience and pushing the envelope. Similar to most people who go into the La Marchand configuration, you know, they're looking for that next thing, you know. With Frank, mm -hmm. it was sex. Maybe with uh, Riley, it could have been like, being high or drugs or like consciousness expansion or something like that, you know? Um, right. But they didn't do that. They, she was just like a generic drug addict character that could have been in any, any movie. And they didn't really go deep with any of that stuff. 
you know, okay, well, there's there's tension between her and her brother. You know, her brother's like getting on a case to get her life together and doesn't trust her and all these things, which is like, you know, yeah, okay, those are dramatic elements, but they they didn't go deep into the character enough, I thought. No, not at all. And, you know, people are talking a lot about the Dahmer show and exploitation and, you know, this whole thing of making her an addict and not really doing anything with it felt a little gross to me. Sure. Um, you know, it didn't even work on a metaphorical level. You know, addiction is hell. This movie is about hell. But Riley is not in hell. She has an apartment. She has a car. She has a job. Uh, she, she has a, a, a you know, like supportive brother yeah. who loves her. We know he loves her because he actually says it. You're my sister. I love you. You know, yep. <laughs> that's about as interesting as these characters get. But yeah, like, so like it didn't even work on like some sort of like, oh, this movie is really a metaphor about trauma and addiction, but it's not. It, it just felt gross to me. She's a drug addict and uh, she'll make some mistakes because she's a drug addict. And but nothing she does like uh, is a result. Well, you know, I was going to say nothing she does is a result of drugs, but she does take the pills, which, again, annoyed me. Like, oh, she's on pills. Yeah. Well, what kind was, of pills? Yep, Do exactly. your fucking research. Yeah. Yeah, that's she's exactly. On pills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pills. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, okay. What, what kind of pills? You know, um, so I, I just thought that was like you had a pretty deep well to go to for, you know, interesting material. Do something with this, you know. Like you said, I like your idea of like, yeah, she's looking for that 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 next thing for something more drugs don't do it for her anymore exactly you know, and, and, and i'm sorry go ahead what are you gonna say no 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 no. like or yeah metaphorically like oh this is gonna be like a addiction it's hell and everything it, it just it does absolutely nothing with it exactly you know and and that's uh yeah when, when i first discovered that's what the, the plot elements were of this i was like okay well now it's going to be this really fringe edgy you know, take on all this stuff. And it's not at all, you know? And I, and like I said, with Frank going, I hate to do this, but since this is like a reboot of the entire series, this is like day one, year, year one for this thing. We're going yeah. back to the beginning. So in the original series, you know, the original movie, Frank, you, Frank, you have it, you know what his motivation is for why he ended up where he was, you know? And, right. uh, and, and you believe it. If you look at that guy, and you, you believe that that dude is doing all the things that he says he does and that you, you read about. You know what I mean? He just looks like. Yeah. He just looks Absolutely. like trouble, that guy. You know what I'm saying? The guy who plays Frank. Oh, totally. And his name's Frank. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, the black shirt, you know, the gold chain, like all that stuff. You know what I mean? And, then, and, well, and, and that's good casting, too. 100%. And her boyfriend, too. I don't buy that either one of them are drug addicts, really. You know, they just they no, don't look, was, they look, they look, they, they don't look sketchy enough for me, you know? Yeah, he, he looks like the singer for Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, he's a good looking guy. He's in shape. Yeah, he's kind of buff, uh, you know what I mean? He's got a nice tan, you know, and he's like really well dressed and everything. Yeah, and she's a junkie, but is supposed to not have her life together, but she's not doing bad at all, like I said, you know? Yeah. Likes to live and 
you know, and we're introduced to these characters having sex. Um, you think maybe, oh, this could, this could be kind of interesting, but the movie is so vanilla. It is so the opposite of what it's based on. Uh, Frank was a very rich character. The, the original is just filled with, with, with great characters. And I feel like this is filled with generic, uh, you know, TV characters. Like, tell me one trait about any of these characters and it's just flat surface level. Like, this is her brother. He's gay. This is his boyfriend. This is the roommate. She actually says, hi, I'm the roommate. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's her character, the roommate. There's just nothing there. Like, you don't care about any of these people. Well, well let's talk a minute about modern casting then. Because um, sure. you know, we, we've got, and I, I don't really know what other things that um, Odessa Azian's been in. But I didn't recognize her. Yeah, I um, I think like back in the in the eighties when you wanted to cast a movie, you would get a guy like Sean Chapman, you know, who played Frank, who looks like Troll. Yeah. Like that guy looks like he just looks like he's up to no good all the time. You know what I mean? Right. And then like you would you when you're talking about like uh, female drug addict characters, <laughs> character actresses. You know, there's Zoe Lund or someone like that. You know, from Miss Forty Five, that is actually a was actually a heroin addict. You know what I mean? That you right. would, you would have her like you would have these believable characters, or even like Harvey Keitel, who looks like a bad sort of guy. You know what I mean? They don't. None of these characters really exude any of that negativity. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. They're just pretty faces. Like, Riley looks like she'd be, like, a hipster model. You know, you could see her on the cover of, like, I, I don't know, the fashion magazines, or maybe she's in a band yeah. or something. Like, she had that kind of vibe to her. Um, it just... The, the film was more concerned with populating it with good-looking people, but there's no real stand-up performance amongst this crop of characters uh i will say the actor who plays sort of the the um i guess he's the villain of the movie roland uh yeah. roland he's good yeah no that that's in the beginning of this movie when uh when when i first saw him oh, okay you know this guy has like this urbane like sort of vibe and you know he's a different element to the film that isn't really present and isn't present at all actually in the other things and this could be very interesting, you know, and, and I, that gave me a little bit of a um, you know positive feeling about it, you know. But yeah, he did a great sure. job, I thought. Yeah, and uh, right away, like uh, not making this movie about him, I think was a mistake. I think well, that's your movie right there. It starts in Serbia. This guy's looking for the box. He's looking for something more. He's an interesting character. And a good actor. That that's that's the movie for me. That's what it should have been. Yeah. But then after like generic intro, you were introduced to these generic do nothing characters, uh, and they you know they they have to like um, a plot to, to steal this guy's like a delivery driver, and he's like, well, I know that there's something with some value, and uh, it's not breaking in because I know the key code and. Right there, I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's bad writing. <laughs> Every time you punch a key code in somewhere, they know who did it. Everyone, you know, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Uh, 
so it was just kind of, I mean, I guess that kind of comes up later in a sort of twist that uh, was just glaringly obvious from the get-go, but, you know, whatever. Um, again, that movie, like that, that twist, this movie thinks it's very clever, but it's it's really not. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, for a movie that has been in production for, like, over a decade, <laughs> it's like... You think the, the the script could have been done better, you know? Oh, I mean, this had brought out uh, two of my uh, two tropes that annoy me in, in horror movies: it's the Google search scene, <laughs> almost always preceding or following uh, the hospital visit scenes, where they go to visit a character who knows something about the mystery, but the character is really unwilling to talk about it. And those scenes are back to back. In this movie, and it drove me fucking nuts. Yeah, you know the the lady in the hospital. She's again interesting character. She has a lot of conflicted feelings about working for Roland. She's dying. She's the uh, she's rethinking all the things she did in life. There's another interesting character that's in the movie for all of you know five minutes. Well, one of the notes I had written about this whole thing, it's almost like there these could have been the first two movies in in the new franchise. Honestly, is Roland's story right? Because it seems right. like a lot of stuff had happened, you know what I mean? Like, you know, he's a, a regular person, and then, like, eventually you see him later on, and he's much different than he is in the beginning. You know, I'm not going to get on, if anyone who hasn't seen the film will understand what I'm talking about. You know, will know right. when they see the film what I'm talking about. And then there's these new young bucks who find the La Marchand configuration, and that's another story. That could be two different movies. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and... You know, flesh out these characters some more. I mean, I mean, recast, rewrite. I mean, you could have something. <laughs> you got to call uh, to... Those, the Frenchman in to, to direct it, maybe, you know, that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Yeah, just completely tear it down to, and, and, and redo it, and you might have something. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, there is a, a more interesting movie in here somewhere that they didn't make. Like, you have, like, a, like you know, Roland, his assistant, his journey to the box. That would be a cool creative spin on this. You know, maybe the Cenobites show up at the end. Um, but yeah, that's just that's just not what we got. Instead, we sort of got a generic, long-winded, boring movie. I have to boring admit. Boring Hellraiser movie. My mind was definitely wandering during this movie, for sure. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I had to go back and then watch it again just to... To, to talk about it because I, at this point it's been about two weeks since it came out and I, I just m forgot about most of it. Yeah. And watching it a second time, I was like, Oh, now I know why this movie's boring <laughs> and, and vanilla and uninteresting. I mean, again, yeah, you know, I hate to compare it to the original, but like you said, it exists. It, it exists in that world. Uh, you felt the kills. In that, in that, in those, that original movie, here they sort of shy away from it. Yeah, and, and you know what, my my thing now is about like, oh, I don't want to bring up the original. Well, you know what, you should have made your own original idea then, and not called it Hellraiser. You know, if, if you don't want to be compared to the original movie, then, yeah, then don't don't do a Hellraiser movie. You know what I mean, like come up with your own idea, you know, and like call it something else. And and that's how, I, and if you're going to make the movie, you're going to be compared to the original 
film. That's that's how I see it, you know. Well, and the only things that I really liked about it are from the original, and they reimagined them a bit, but they're still from the original. Like the Cenobites aren't leather clad uh, anymore; they sort of use their own skin as clothing, which I thought was interesting. I loved the design of the, of the Cenobites; I thought they were fantastic. They were they were cool, uh, but I prefer the black leather and that how one of them was wearing sunglasses the entire time, like in the original movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, of course I do too. But uh, you know, I, as far as this movie goes, not bad. They did they did they did a good, good job with that. The makeup team did a very effective job. Like they look creepy. I wonder if like there's sun in the gash, you know, like in the universe those guys live in, like why that yeah. dude, like, or he just liked wearing sunglasses, like in the original one. I bet you somewhere there's fan fiction or something that explains <laughs> it. I would be shocked if there wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. The new box that was cool. Yeah, it had the four P symbol on it. I don't know if you noticed that there was like that that uh, process church symbol. I did not notice that. Yeah, that was that was a nice touch. I thought, except probably most likely the person was just like, "Oh, look at this thing I found on you know Getty Images or whatever." You know, <laughs> I thought someone was talking about this on Reddit. Let's throw it in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, but I like, like, okay, the box changes shape. It has a cool sound design. You really feel those pieces moving with the, the, those mechanical sounds in the, in, in the background. Um, this, however, came up even in the original. Uh, this box is way, puzzle box is way too easy to solve. Seems like anyone who touches this thing can, can figure it out. I've had ideas about that, too. Like where the box oh. is maybe more difficult for certain people than others. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that, okay. That's just, I, that's in my mind. I don't know if that was ever written anywhere or anyone that was anything to support that theory, but that's just my personal, uh, you know, theory about it. That's interesting. I, I remember in Hellraiser 2, they, they made it a point, like, that the girl who doesn't talk is a, an expert on puzzles. Right. And it made me think, well, why do you even need one? Like, <laughs> exactly. Kirsten, he's figured this thing out in seconds. Frank like, figured it out, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, like I said, it seems like anyone who touches it uh, opens up the hell world. Um, you know, in this movie, it's a, a girl on quote-unquote pills. On drugs, quote-unquote. Yeah. On drugs. She was doing drugs. Uh, she was passing drugs. God, God this fucking movie, man. Um, this is, it's also like weird aesthetic. Like, you know, I guess Riley feel Riley's brother goes missing and it's her fault. You know, because she's on drugs. She's on pills. So her brother goes missing trying to help her. And she feels bad. And eventually she ends up in Roland's mansion where she... Re does research for like six hours. When she gets there, the sun is up, and the sun is going down. When she's when she's done reading, and uh, of course she retains all of the information she read. Um, and then they decide to leave and leave her car behind, and they even make it a point to mention that, like, "Hey, do you want to roll with us?" She's like, "Yeah, fuck me." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, that that didn't make any sense to nope, me." No, not at all. <laughs> it's just. Weird writing, because I guess at the end they need something to drive away in because they totaled the van. And like, oh, good thing we left Riley's car there for no fucking reason whatsoever. It was just lazy, just odd odd choices uh, uh, all over this movie. 
So what would you give as far as a score to this movie? Oh, God. Um, I'd give it a one and a half. Oh, okay. It, uh, I, I liked the box. I liked that it moved around and had a cool sound design. I, like they, they stuck to the original box pretty well, but they also put their spin on it, which I like. Uh, I love the Cenobites. Um, I know I said some, you know, negative things about um, her performances as, as Pinhead, but she was a perfectly fine Pinhead. If they make a good movie with her as Pinhead, I'd be psyched. And that's pretty much all you got for this. It is a flat vanilla take on Hellraiser. What I about give, you, Mike? I give it a two. Yeah, two out of okay. five. Yeah, I, I, you know, for the same reasons, basically. I just was really disappointed in it, you know. I was, too, because it, it's a concept I think you can do a lot with. And you can make a smart movie with. And this just feels very, uh, there's no passion behind it. And I know, like, you know, they, like I said, they trotted out Clyde Barker. And Clyde Barker's like, oh, this Film is great. This director's great, you know. But like, I, I don't feel it. I'm not buying it. I don't feel like anyone involved with this really cared enough to make a a good movie. I mean, no one wants to make a bad one, but it just felt passionless to me. That's a good descriptive for it. Passionless. Yeah, that that's how I feel about it too. Passionless. And you know, uh, I'm sure. We're going to see a few more of these. I'm sure we haven't seen the end of Pinhead and and Riley. It, it, it's kind of hard to judge. This went straight to Hulu. So it's kind of hard to tell how well it did. I know reviews were mostly positive for this, which I also find confusing. I'm not sure why people love this movie. You see, like, oh, it's the second best Hellraiser movie, which... I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to argue with that. There, since they're all varying degrees of bad after the first one. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that this you could do something really good with this because I know, like I said, the comic books that they did were were pretty awesome, man. They they did a good job, you know. And and um, it just all you got to do is maybe read some of that stuff and maybe like get some <laughs> ideas and go for it. You know, I just. Um, I don't get it though. I don't understand why it's there. People are having such a hard time with making a decent film in this world. Yeah, it's it's very confusing to me as as well. It's sort of like when the Nightmare on Elm Street remake came out. You're literally dealing with dreams where you can do anything, and this is what you give us. You know, just you know, there's so many people making great visionary horror films now and if you got the ip hellraiser uh, there's just so much you can do with it and, and it just makes it even more disappointing like oh what could have been if you got the right team of people yeah and this has nothing other than like you know keeping the same makeup and effects crews crew like get rid of everything else <laughs> uh except maybe the actor who plays role and make the movie about him and you might have something. I think uh, that would probably have been a better plot line, honestly. Because it, it kind of 
make leaves you wondering about Roland. I mean, maybe the second one is going to be uh, a prequel, you know, about how Roland, because, you know, or maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I, I don't know where they're going with this. I, I feel like, yeah, I committed the, the worst sin of being forgettable. And I don't think for all the, the, the praise this movie seems to be uh, getting, I think it's going to go the way of the Poltergeist remake where people are like, oh, that exists. It's just so forgettable. And, and, and yeah, just, just, just nothing there. <laughs> but uh, that's the world we live in you know they're, they're gonna make a bunch more of these i'm sure they are or they'll reboot it again um in, in, until the end of time but and hopefully they'll get it right eventually because i think there's what, 10 11 hellraiser movies and somehow you only have one that's really really good yeah you know and i, I believe there's you know like damien leone like made a great fucking you know movie with a with a, a world building element to it you know and maybe we give damon leone the hellraiser franchise i don't know you know anyone but david bruckner yeah. <laughs> I, I guess he was not the man for the job i mean it was just sort of hiring like hiring just the generic video director just visionless just now just not good Imagine if it came down to like, like you know, like when you go to a job interview and, um, you know, they have Pascal Logier and, and uh, Bruckner there that interview them. They look at their resume and stuff. And then so at the end, at the end of the interview, they're like, all right, so what kind of, you know, what kind of compensation do you need? You know, and then like Bruckner was like a couple grand cheaper than, like, than uh, Logier. So they went with him, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're probably not wrong because I mean, yeah, you put everyone's resume on the table. It's obvious who uh, who, who you get the job to. It kind of makes me wonder what they pitched them, and they were like, "Fuck that!" They're <laughs> all doing that, like all doing cocaine and stuff. Yeah, man, it's gonna be the biggest thing ever. You know, ah, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, man. We're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna make you know, pinhead a woman, and there's gonna be all this drugs and sex and everything, and then oh, let's fucking do it, man. It's gonna be great. <laughs> and then we get this. How we end up? We end up with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very unfortunate, and also fuck Hulu for adding commercials to this. That really annoyed me. Uh, uh, just really dumb. Yeah, that that <laughs> kill, that was killing me. The commercials, man. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, there weren't even that many of them, but it's just annoyed the shit out of me. So I went into the, like you know, ten minutes in the movie, I'm annoyed. I was like, fuck, a commercial. I pay for this site. Yeah, I, I pay know, for this that, app. That's a, that's a mystery to me, man. But hey, man, times yeah, are tough, I, I guess. You know. I guess so. I mean, I know when we did pray, pray did not have commercials. I don't think it did. I, I think I'd remember if it did. Um, but I, I will say, skipping the theaters was probably the smarter decision they made for this because it doesn't feel like a movie at all. It feels like TV. So this belonged on TV, whereas Prey felt like a theatrical movie. But, you know, whatever. I don't know how these people make these decisions. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks. And thank you all for listening. And uh, I hope that, you know, we're not trying to be killjoys, but um, by all means, go out and see this film. and Let us know what you think. Let us know if we're on point. Or let us know if we're totally full of shit with our opinions about this movie. <laughs> well, I'm sure we will hear something. Yeah. 
Do it, dude. All right.